Welcome back, everybody. Another episode of Subject to Change is here, and it's a great one. Tonight is NBA draft night, at least when we're recording it. So you'll be watching this later. And the big thing is, is we brought the professor on today. How you doing, man? I'm glad we finally got a chance to connect. No, I'm doing great, man. Likewise, glad to connect. Appreciate you having me on. No doubt, no doubt. Where are you at right now, location-wise? Uh, the West Coast, East Coast, where, where are you staying? Uh, I'm at home in LA. I, st I stay like at the very tip of uh, northern tip of LA County. So I'm really? just at home right now. Yeah. Oh man. So is it wild out there right now? With are they even are you allowed to leave the house? Is it shut down? What's going on? I mean, you can leave the house. It's uh, but we've been shut down. That's the funny part. So a lot of people are hitting me up like, oh, we're going back on shutdown, X Y Z. But I, well, like LA's been shut down. So nothing, literally nothing scaled back here. I know like in Orange County. And different places like gyms started to open back up. Some restaurants may have opened back up with limited capacity and they have to shut down. But we've been shut down for a minute. So, like, I don't feel any different, you know? That's crazy. Yeah, that's wild. What are uh, – my biggest thing is, like, high school sports. Are they are they doing anything? Is basketball playing? Are there football games going on? Is it closed? What's, what's that look like in California right now? I think in L.A., I don't, I don't think anything's happening as far as like entering LA. But I know that um, like like my brother, you know, he's saying Santa Barbara, a couple hours north, he's, he's head coach of uh, Westmont College. And like they, you know, they're trying to tentatively have a season. They're gonna only play schools that are willing to test weekly. So it, I guess it kind of varies by region where you're at, but I know kids are in school, everybody's being homeschooled and I don't think athletics are happening either from my knowledge. Man, so, it's weird. It's weird with the sports, like they're, they're saying no sports, especially in, in California, but then, like, you see some schools break out and they have, like, AAU games and stuff. We went to an event the other day. They had testing. Like, every single person got tested before they entered the gym. So, Quavo hosted mm. an event with, like, all the top high school kids. Chet Holmgren was there and a couple other kids. They made everyone get tested before. So, they're able to do that. I think it's safe. That's crazy that they, like, you're going to – they don't have rapid – it's not like you stick it in your nose and just look at it. It's not a pregnancy test. I mean, it's got to be – No, it was rapid. I mean, Quavo's got the Quavo. money. I guess. I guess he, he does have yeah. his own. Test. It's probably his own branded. He's he started a pharmaceutical company. I'm sure. That's that's wild, man. Especially California, because like you said, it's been completely shut down. But uh, before I go down the the COVID rabbit hole that our listeners are probably tired of hearing, everybody's tired of hearing COVID in general. Let's talk about about you and the the wild career that that you've had um, and how much it's changed and evolved. I just want to give you the floor and talk about start to finish. And once again, before I jump out is I appreciate everything that you've done because I got my start watching you hot sauce, escalate the whole, the whole line of, of and one mixtapes and all those, that stuff like legit can remember YouTubing that. And that's how I got started trying to do the slip and slide and just crazy stuff like that. But bring me through, your life and your career and, and how it got started and ended up with and one and everything you're doing now. Definitely, man. Well, first off, I love that. And I appreciate that, man. That's awesome to hear. Uh, when I always hear impact stories, I always feel good about it. But um, no, I started playing ball when I was like really young. My dad put the basketball hands at like two years old. Uh, I fell in love with the game. By the time I was like fourth or fifth grade, my goal was like make the NBA. I had a trainer, I started working with a skills trainer. He was way ahead of his time. And uh, he's really good at teaching the footwork of the game, but I learned the Allen Iverson crossover when I was in fifth grade. 
And I was like literally probably four feet tall, but like I would play grown men and like I hit them with that AI cross. They'd be like out of the picture and, and a lot of crowds would like go crazy for that. So I was known very young. I was kind of like on the map as like this small white kid with handles or whatever. Um, as I got older into high school, uh, less opportunity came my way because I was so small. Like people knew I had skills on offense, but like coaches didn't trust me uh, on the defensive end. So I had like limited opportunity. My freshman year roster, I was 4'11", 85 pounds in high school. I started on the freshman team. And then like by the time I was a junior, I still wasn't really growing like that. So I got held back. I was on JV as a junior. And then I transferred to like this small Christian school for basketball opportunity. And I got second team all state. I grew a little bit. I was like 5'8", when I was a senior. And then I didn't get any college offers. I actually got cut from three JUCOs. I walked on to my local, the local JUCO I didn't want to go to, it was in my home city. It was the only opportunity I had. The coach let me redshirt, but then three players got injured. So I got thrown in the lineup. I played three minutes a game. And if the game was close, I didn't even go in. So that was my college run. And then after that, I improved by like 300%. I think I grew like an inch and a half. I started lifting weights. And then I got a little bit more physical on the defensive end. I was just always a late bloomer, really late, like maturity wise. You know what I mean? Yeah. I literally improved like 300% in like four months. And then next thing you know, the and one mixtape tour comes around, which I was already a huge fan of since I was in high school. Right. What, so, what year, what year is this about like the and one mixtape days when that came out? Yeah. So I was a fan of it starting in 1999, my first launch and one mixtape volume one. And yep. then, by the time I went to try out, it was 2003, and they were having a show on ESPN. It was season two uh, of the Animal Mixtape Tour. It's basically uh, a reality show that covered their worldwide tours. And for the viewers that don't know, and one was basically, it's a clothing brand, but it had uh, marketing. It was like the streetball tour, which is basically like flashy basketball, unrehearsed uh, worldwide tours. So. The season I went on there, they were having a reality show centered around trying to find new talent and like narrow it down to one winner who would eventually sign a contract with Team Man One. So I went through, as a fan, I went to the game. There was a tryout, I tried out. They asked me to come on tour with them. My mind was blown. That, that was dream come true already, you know what I mean? Be on ESPN with hot sauce and them. And then next thing I know, I win the contest. I go through that whole summer come down to the to the last city in uh linden new jersey and like i won a contract and so it was like career opportunity and uh that's kind of where my career started wow that, that's, that's, insane. that's the wildest story that i ever heard and I, i'm trying <laughs> to keep track of everything that's going on and we'll go, we'll try to go chronologically here questions i got sure. is, is uh like junior college talk about like i got juco transfers on my team and some of them went through like i mean some JUCOs are hell. Like some JUCOs are, you get no funding. Yeah, I mean, you're sleeping in conditions. You don't even, you know, tell other people about all this kind of stuff. What was that like? You said you went to three? I, I basically worked out for three different JUCOs in oh. Oregon. And, 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 and you know, it's funny. One of them I went to, I don't even know if I missed a shot. I played for like, I literally played for like an hour and a half. I, I missed maybe one shot. Cause like I was playing so much basketball at that time. And, uh, it just didn't matter though, because on the defensive end, I was so tiny. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. not only was yeah. I like five eight, but I like I literally weigh about one hundred twenty five pounds. You know what I mean? So, so playing defense on on somebody was or stopping somebody at that level who was decent was kind of tough, and I really shied away from contact. Yeah. 
So, so basically, um, my JUCO experience was cool. I was at like an elite JUCO. You know, like three dudes who were going to go D1, a couple yep. dudes went D2. And it was funny because I always knew that my offensive skills were the same as these guys, if not better. My handle was better. But, you know, I, my coaches, it's funny because you can allow coaches sometimes to make you think that you're not as good as you are if they don't like push you and encourage you and yep. take you to that next level. So I actually believed that I wasn't as good as these dudes. And then after my first year goes through and I, and I start to just mentally like mature a little bit, next thing you know, I was the best player in the gym uh, by a mile, you know what I mean? But uh, my experience overall was pretty normal. Our, our, my Juco is like in a suburb. It was in my hometown. Okay. Uh, nobody came to the games though. You know, if you got 50 people, that'd be like a decent show, you know? <laughs> no doubt. So, no yeah. doubt. Yeah, they're empty. Yeah, but no, I mean, I worked hard. I was the last dude on the bench. So I'm always like going the hardest, you know, making yep. an extra effort to practice to, to set the tone and still like hold my spot down. But yeah. Um, yeah, lo and behold, I never thought it would turn into what it did, you know? That, so so the, the and one stuff, and that's the stuff that, I mean, I was in the most intrigued about when they told me you were, you were jumping on. Tell me about, tell me about that like experience and more like depth. So you, uh, you said you went to like, you went there as a fan and they had a tryout. What does an and one like tryout look like? Is that just like a one-on-one -on -one king of the court? It's gotta be, right? No, so if five on five, open runs. Um, okay. You can actually go on YouTube. Every episode of every season is actually on YouTube. Um, my homie, Alberto Entertainment, this dude, he like, he like ripped them all. They, they're on YouTube. So, <laughs> um, but probably, no, they don't sell them anymore. It's probably not even illegal. I'm not, not to put them out there like that. But um, basically what it was is, so 1999, I saw Animal Mixtape Volume 1. I was a huge fan of Skip to My Lou. Yeah. Um, by the time I tried out, I think they were on like volume five, but I loved hot sauce, skipped my Lou, AO, headache. For the OGs watching this, they'll know those players. But um, by the time I went to trial, I was just a fan, you know what I mean? So I went up there and I, I did know they were having some form of open run trial, but for me, just to, just to play and have a little fun and then go in there and watch my favorite players was enough, more than enough. I was having a great time. So me and my brother went up there. Uh, it was like an hour north. I'm from Salem, Oregon. This was in Portland, Oregon. And uh, there was probably like 500 people who tried out that day. They would just have like open runs. It was kind of like all skill levels, all ages, everybody. They had like a, you know, uh, probably like a 16 and under. And then it was like 16 and up. It just broke up into two groups. And it was basically like you just had like five minutes to do your thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, don't, I wasn't passing, you know what I'm saying? I was out there trying to do my <laughs> Right. And, the crowd went crazy off like my first three moves, the crowd was captivated. And then like half of the N1 players were there watching kind of like yeah. the talent. I remember when we were, when I was on the team, that was always part of our duties was to watch the open run. Um, so this was like early reality TV on ESPN. I think that Survivor was one of the first most successful reality TV shows. So they kind of themed it like a Survivor contest. You know what I mean? It was like different guys we're on, I think there's three guys, quote, quote unquote, on the bus or like in the contest at once. And then every city, they have the opportunity to get knocked out if you didn't play good, if you didn't hold it down. So um, I just kept going along this process of elimination, but I played the whole tour except for like two games. And uh, a lot of things just went my way. You know what I mean? I made shots I couldn't duplicate. I hit like a game winner 
in Madison Square Garden, we beat Team A1. Like, they had hardly been beat. Right. And, and then another game, I hit another game winner. It was like, it was just meant to be, you know what I mean? Like, plays I couldn't duplicate. So, it was a trip for me being a, those guys, my idols, now they're playing against them, you know? What's uh, what's reality TV life like? I mean, that's that's probably one of my biggest questions out of the whole thing. I mean, our cameras, you got any personal time? Is there any time where you're like, yo, get to, get the fuck out of my face. Let me just like go sleep, take a nap. Don't film me. Is it, is it crazy like that or is it not that bad? So it's changed a lot. So today, if we were going to be on a reality TV show, uh, it's fully scripted. You're basically acting. It's more like a vlog on YouTube. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah but yeah. you have full on scripts. I'd say even more scripty than a vlog. You know what I'm saying? They got full right. scripts. So, so, uh, and when I say vlog, I mean like the highest level vloggers, you know what I mean? Like yeah. a lot of them predetermine what's going to happen. So, so the Kardashian, that's got a script and all that. Back then, uh, reality TV was starting. They actually, the idea of that was to actually capture reality and then try to make a story out of it. So on and one, there was a lot of big personalities. There was naturally just a lot of drama because a lot of people had a lot of egos. So you know, we're bumping heads naturally all the time. And we were from all over the country. So you had like really East Coast dudes, you know what I mean? Main event, Shane the Dribbling Machine, High Octane. And then you had like from Philly was AO. Atlanta, uh, from Atlanta was like Hot Sauce 50. And then you had West Coast dudes like Sick With It and Spin Master. So all the personalities would conflict a lot of times around the court. And everybody thought they were the best player. Like I bet you if you went around the room, team man one and you ask every player like who's the best player they all probably would have said themselves so so yeah. naturally they didn't even have to make much of a story or create any drama the only thing they would do for us is they'd be like okay today we're gonna go to this location then we just do everybody just do their thing and we had like four or five camera dudes and they were just our friends so right like they would just keep with us and flick on the camera mid hangout and that's kind of like how we got our stuff but they would create these the main storylines is about trying out for the contest, what happened in the tour games, but off the court, the drama created itself. So, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Now let, let's talk about drama, because Tom is a huge fan of it. He loves TikTok, he follows every single thing that goes on. He knows about yeah. who's breaking up and who's dating and who's doing bicep curls. I need to hear yeah. about and one drama, the real- Different kind of drama. Stuff. <laughs> it is a different kind of drama, but it's similar. Yeah. How much How much crazy stuff happened on that, that N1 reality TV show, like drama-wise? And they probably didn't show most of it, right? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, so they kept it family-friendly. It was on ESPN. But uh, yeah. there was a lot of drama. A lot of it had to do with, like, it really was, like, egos from, from who was the best on the court, who was getting the most shine. Who, who would bust whose ass 1v1, stuff like that. But then you had your drama of like, let's see here. Like, there was like stuff that happened in the club. There was like- uh, Hold on, did, did cameramen go inside the club when y'all when y'all would go different cities? Did they come with you? Cause they're your boys, right? Oh, it was, there was open access. There was nothing closed off. That was part of the deal. The cameraman could be everywhere. I mean. We're talking about like even the first time I ever drank alcohol and, and got wild, that that was on camera. You know what I mean? So <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> I'm trying to think. But yeah, every not, almost every time we went to the club, the, the camera crew would come with us and then it'd be on the bus with us, which was like our traveling. We would go hotel to hotel, but we'd be on the bus more than anything. 
So right. they were on with us. And um, who fought? Who fought the most? Mm -hmm. Say again. Who who fought the most? Like I know there had to have been like whether it was like real physical altercations or just dudes who chirp like all the time on the on the N one circuit and tour. Who was that person? Like man, he's coming to the club tonight. I know something's going on. Like something's gonna pop off. Who was that? You got somebody? Well, we didn't we didn't fight as much in the club like that. But as far as like altercation stuff on the court, everybody talked trash. I don't think anybody. I was the quiet one because I was like a kid on there. You know what I mean? I was just kind of like taking it in. I yeah. I was very familiar with the whole culture and everything. So, uh, but as far as like who would get into it with somebody? What about <laughs> Skip to my Lou? Would Skip to my Lou get into it with people? No, no, Skip to my Lou was actually much more level-headed. So by the time I got on there, by the time I got on to and one, Skip to my Lou had already been in the NBA for like a few years. And so he was more seasoned and more level-headed when he came back to play with us. He wasn't on the tour full-time. He just played some games by the time I, I got there. So when he would come back, he would kind of like do his thing and then, and then roll out. We partied like a couple times, but for the most part, he just did like spot dates and he was in and out, but he was much more as part of the reason he made the NBA though. He was much more well put together, you know, as far as just like a guy who got in the weight room heavy, you know what I mean? Was more disciplined with workouts, probably at that time, more coachable than, than a lot of the guys in street ball. You know what I mean? So he, he, he was much more well-rounded, well put together. And that's why I think he flourished the most because the talent yeah. level on the team this is why it'd be hard for like a current day tour like that to exist because you don't have guys who are like borderline NBA level talent that are not in the NBA and just kind of like free to go do something like that. Usually they're like overseas or doing something. Yeah. But there was like really high level talent in the streets at that time. So, um, but yeah, Skip to my lose level headed Ma main event, you know, half man, my OGs, like they would always come to, they're going to bring it every night. Like, they can get into it. You know what I mean? But Yeah, that's that's funny that you say Skip was uh, – that's funny that you say Skip Tamalu was level-headed because I've gotten in an argument with with Skip Tamalu. And some people Wait, don't what? know this. We, yeah, okay. So, Rafe, <laughs> so Rafe was uh, – he was at the MBPA Top 100 camp. And I'll never forget it. Uh, my first year, my junior year, I was on Zion's team. And I wasn't doing anything. Like, I was chilling. I might catch and shoot a little spot up, chilling, right? Uh, but then my senior year, um, I went to that camp with a whole different outlook. Like I wanted to prove that, like, I think I was 80 in the country. I'm like, I'm not 80 in the country. I don't care what people say. And I wanted to make this top 10 team at the end of the camp. And, uh, my coach was Rajon Rondo and Rafe was, uh, he was coaching a different team and I'll never forget. It was the first game uh, of the camp. And I mean, out of respect, he wouldn't know who I am, but I definitely know who he is. And uh, he's coaching his team, and I'm bringing the ball up, and he yells out, uh, he said, oh, white boy's scared. Jump up in him. Jump up in him. He'll turn it over. I kind of looked back like, you're crazy, right? So came off a ball screen, backed up, isoed his big man, hit a step back, ran right alongside the bench, looked straight at him. I'm like, I ain't scared. You got somebody. You, you got me mistaken. And he said, he starts barking back at me. We go like a whole quarter and I'm talking shit back and forth with Ray Verhalsen. And I'm like, that's crazy to me. Cause then after the game and you know how it is too, might talk shit, but he was just testing my metal. 
And I was, you know, not testing his because he's already been tested, but not backing down. And I think he respected it at the end of the day. But it really, it got heated. Like, he's screaming. The rest are like, yo, chill out. Chill out. We don't need any of this. But that's funny that he was level-headed on the on the and one tour, though. That's wild. I would have I guessed different. Yeah, and I think I think the reason that is is because at that time, that is a hilarious story. But I think at that time, he he knew that he had to be more polished to be able to be in the NBA. So if you go back to that era, street ball among high ups like GMs, coaches, and people in the NBA, it was actually looked at as a bad thing. So Skip had to really like conform to to the normal basketball, so to speak, to be able to keep a spot in the NBA. And so he probably didn't have time to come back and play with the homies. You know, a lot of those dudes he grew up with and they played at Rucker, you know what I mean? So like he didn't have time to come back and beef with them because some of my dudes had beef with him right. because a little bit of jelly, you know, they thought they were on that same level and like he got mass, you know, incredible opportunity. So my guess is would be, he would try to be a little more cleaned up uh, to have a better presentation, be able to keep his spot at, at the top, you know? Yeah, the NBA was different back then for sure in terms of what they, they, they wanted, I mean, so you couldn't even wear chains and stuff like that. I don't think they had rules like that in one, right? We had no rules. <laughs> it was <laughs> yeah, no, no rules off the court. Absolutely none. We didn't even really, like, we practiced. We would just, like, play, you know what I mean? And and it was kind of made known that, like, you know, if you were going to be re reevaluated at the end of the year, you just got to be in, make sure you're in shape. You know what I mean? Make sure you're in shape, you're playing at a decent level, and you can put on a good show. So that's... That was it, you know what I mean? But how, the streets how trimmed up a it? lot. Uh, no, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, the, the NBA tightened up a lot. Like, when Iverson – Iverson was like street ball in the NBA at that time. And I remember at a certain at a certain time, they, they switched the dress code, and then they called Allen Iverson's move a carry. And I remember that was the time Anwen actually went off ESPN – and the tour was dead. And I remember basketball really changed actually like 180, like right away. It was like, it was like 08, 09. And basketball changed a lot. But um, streetball always had a little bit of a negative connotation yeah. uh, with, the, with the high ups, you know what I mean? And now it's different because it's like that flair is all throughout the NBA because people grew up on N1. And it's funny how it changed, you know? It is wild. Yeah. You talk about like the NBA guys and stuff. And like obviously Skip to My Lou was in there. Was that how you guys felt though? Were you like we could all play with them if if, it, if we had to match up with them? For me personally, I was only 18 years old, so I was just happy to share the floor with Skip to my Lou. He could have busted my ass; I still would have been happy. But other players, uh, other player, they all felt like no matter who stepped on the floor, they were going to get theirs, and they probably were like the best. And and honestly, though, that it wasn't a bad argument. Like we mix it up with NBA players and go back and forth. It didn't look like a different game. And you had even guys like Hassas who played very unconventional. Like he never really played a high level conventional ball, but like if the NBA player get on him, he'll make him look silly. You know what I mean? Like, like, and they do it with the lights on with thousands of people in the crowd. So yeah, everybody kind of thought they were on that level. And a lot of dudes did think they should be in the NBA or get that opportunity. No doubt. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, talk, talking about just how, I love that you said you still see and one in the NBA. You still see and one. You definitely see it when, you know, overtime Tom pulls up to a game with his, you know, camera. Cause now every kid who's ever watched an N one volume one, two, three, whatever mixtape is like, all right, bet I'm getting on overtime and I'm really going to snatch something right here. Like everything that y'all did making people look silly 
is something that, yeah, it's, it's, it tried to get phased out of the NBA. And I know like basketball purists don't love it, but it's something that at the end of the day, it's the game is an entertainment and it's something that, um, you know, people love watching. You guys made it so much fun to watch. But now when you look at guys that are going to be in the NBA, like tonight we got draft night. Is there anybody that you think like that you've watched recently um, where you really see like how you and and one and everybody kind of maybe impacted them? Like you look at like a Trey Young type of player. Are there anybody in this draft class or, or players that you're looking at right now that it's kind of cool watching that way? You know what's crazy? I, I don't keep up with the college game at all. I don't know any really? of these kids. I know the kid OB something that has an opportunity to be a, lo a lottery pick. I know Mello. Uh, so when Mello was in like fifth grade or something like that, I there was like this TV show they were trying to get off the ground here in LA. And it had to do with uh, myself and like some, some Lakers, some Showtime Lakers, like Norm Nixon and a couple other dudes were judging uh, basketball talent, like youth basketball talent. And I think it might've been within families. I'm not sure, but it was like skills-based. And I remember seeing these, those kids at a young age and I was like, man, these kids got some talent. So I seen Melo play since he was young. And I feel like he's got a lot of flair. He's, he's a beast too. He, he wouldn't know that that tracked back to and one because that's too far before his time unless he, you know, he's done his research or whatever. But um, I would imagine the interesting thing about street ball was that, and and one was that basically it was just highlight driven basketball. We, we push highlights to the forefront. Like that's right. that on steroids. And I feel like the high, as long as basketball's popular, the highlights of the game will be popular. So it kind of just goes hand in hand. So I'd imagine a lot of these young cats are, are in that same lane, you know? Right. Wait, so you saw LaMelo, you said when he was super young, because we, we obviously, been, I'm wearing a LaMelo jersey right now, um, right. when he was don't in Lithuania. Put, don't say we, Tom. Don't say we. You love LaMelo. You have a, I mean, he's going to be the number one pick and probably a top 10 player in this upcoming year, but still. Um, you saw him when he was in fifth grade. You saw all the brothers. Was Lonzo and Joe there, too? It was a whole family thing, or was it just Mello? No, LaVar was there. <laughs> Look. LeVar was there like, running these dudes through the, the skills workout. So all three brothers were there. And it was funny because I remember LeVar was pretty, like, boisterous as a leader. But I, I didn't foresee, like, what that would become later. <laughs> and I remember, though, I was like – I was I asked Norm Nixon. I'm like, this is a family right here? They're all related? I was like, dang, this is East right here. Because I think Lonzo, the, the oldest, was only – 15, 16 years old at this time. But I noticed they had talent. I remember a couple of years later, I went up to Orange County and I watched him play in an AAU tournament. And, or I went to an AAU tournament to watch somebody else, but I saw like one of the far courts, there was like 300 people around this court. I'm like, what's going on over here? Sure enough, I come and I remember, I was like, oh, these, these three, these three boys that were killing it a couple of years ago. I was like, that makes sense. Like did, these dudes were beasts. Did, uh, when you watched LeVar take, Jello, Lonzo, and Mello through these uh, these workouts or kind of bringing them through when they were younger. Where it was your first instinct, like, yeah, this guy knows basketball, or like, oh no, <laughs> here's another crazy dad who's like just off the wall. Like, what was he having them do? Was it legit or? Eh? No, it was legit. Uh, I would say at that time we all were like, oh, cool dude. Like this dude yeah. loves his kid. You know what I mean? He he, he was really positive. He was really about it. But I, I would say also, 
he may be like a little bit delusional in some of his viewpoints, but I think a lot of it's exaggerated. A lot of it's for entertainment. I would say like as a trainer, I'm not going to say he's like a, a an elite trainer by NBA standards, but I would say like pretty good skills trainer. You know what I mean? Like I would say yeah. he knows the game. I really yeah. like this philosophy of how when he coached those boys, he just had it up and down. He's like, we're going to win with athleticism and skill and really capitalize on that. That just made sense. If you got a team that's, out of this world athletic for the AAU circuit, pushing uh, fast break basketball to the forefront, run and gun, let's, let's get it out and go and shoot more shots than they do and run more. That just makes sense. So I like that philosophy. I thought that was actually like a good basketball play on his part. I, I would say like if he was a trainer, he's probably a good one. I think that anytime somebody gets put on mass media and then you're talking about kids where like you, you don't take a lot of pride in your own kids, you're always gonna think your kids are probably better than they are. Yeah, or you're, you're gonna see them. You're gonna see them at their utmost potential before other people do. So it's always gonna come off a little bit weird. So I'm not saying I'm not saying all the moves he made were great, and I didn't agree with a lot of stuff he said. But at that time, I was like, nah, like pops is cool. Like he know that he got these kids right. That's for sure. He's got a you know? he gets a bad rep because I I've had the same experience with him and with all the kids like. What's he supposed to say? Like, yeah, Lamelo is not the best player in the country. Oh, you know what? Those other three kids are like better than him. Like, he's, that's never gonna happen. And he was a trainer before, even like throughout all the years, he's trained other people too. So I think he gets a bad reputation. But his whole thing has always been like entertain, like basketball's entertainment. So like, as long as they're winning games, they should they should have some level of flair. And that's kind of like what you guys did. So like, you take it from there. We see it now with like Lamelo when he was in high school. Like he could walk into a, a gym and be like more popular or like get more fanfare than like a lower level NBA guy. And I feel like that was you guys too. At any point with street ball, do you guys be like, Hey, we're just as big as some of these NBA players. Like we walk into a court, like we're the biggest thing out here. We, we knew that we did know that at the time, but the funny thing is I actually didn't know how big it actually was. Like nowadays when you see like social media versus mainstream, like influencer versus mainstream, you can really see like the levels of coverage that people get and how many eyes. So at that time, I didn't actually understand how mainstream it was, but we did have that conversation. We knew that we were as known as NBA All-Stars were. We did know that. Um, but I like what you said though. And I like LeVar's philosophy too. Basketball is entertainment. And I think that's what those basketball purists miss when they talk about like, it's not real basketball, that's a circus. Like at the end of the day, like at the very core of basketball, it's a sweat and it's entertainment. Yep. You, you know what I mean? It's like when people talk about like you're depriving a kid of his true potential or scholarships or whatever. Yeah. I mean, those are, those are the same people. Those are the same people that at the end of the day are going to tell little Timmy when he's, you know, in third grade YMCA ball. Oh, you know, don't do a between the legs. Don't do that spin move. Oh, you turned it over on a behind the back. Don't ever do that again. It's all these crazy, they, like, dads, coaches that are doing this, thinking they're basketball purists. But then, you know, it's a it's a cultural thing for sure, too, because I grew up playing in, in police athletic leagues. So, PAL leagues, I don't know if, if you played in those. But when I walked in the gym, I was one of maybe one or two white kids, maybe, playing on the court. And when I got, like, to it, and, and it was, like, third or fourth grade, that's why my dad didn't let me play in – second grade YMCA suburban because they won't let me, you know, throw a behind the neck pass or, you know, dribble it, you know, through my legs three times and try to break somebody off. Even if I did that, I could do a spin move at PAL league 
and lose some defender. And the dads, even the kid's dad is going crazy. Like if it was something like fun, entertaining, they loved that, promoted it. And it wasn't like a suppression. Like you, you turn kids into robots, you, you, you know, kill confidence. You take the fun out of the game. You want to talk about burning kids out. That's how you do it. That's what I think at least. No, I 100% agree with you. That was my whole upbringing. So the school that I went to, they made me think that it wasn't good. You know, I remember doing a crossover and they didn't like, they didn't actually like it. I did, I did a crossover one time. I remember kid flew like 10 feet to the left, but I missed the jumper. And then the coach made me feel like the whole effort was bad because you were doing it the wrong way. And then it, uh, they literally made me think that like even NBA, this sounds weird, but they would make me think that even NBA basketball was too loose and even that wasn't real basketball. Like that's how, that's how Hoosiers, yep, that's how Princeton yep. offense, my super white version of basketball was in Oregon that I grew up playing. And I remember even, I got up into uh, even in college and I think I had gotten like a rebound and I did like that behind the back where you put the ball behind this way and then you end up throwing it that way. But it was perfect. Went to a dude for a dunk. Yeah. Coach stopped practice. Like, what's this AAU bullshit? Boom, 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 going at me. Flashy mother. Oh, yeah. Heard it. <laughs> they made me think that was bad because they made me think that the fact that somewhere in my mind making the crowd uh, entertained was away from the goal of winning. So, therefore, it wasn't good. So, it wasn't until – because, like, when I'm – I was known as, like, a great basketball player away from my high school circuit, away from my college circuit. But then when I got in season, in my mind, in real basketball, that didn't belong. So then when I got on and one and I'm playing with my teammates, all I played D1 and high-level college, and they're like, oh, you were a beast. And I'm like, oh, really? Like, <laughs> so That's you great, can right? – coach can really change the way a player thinks. Like you said, burn them out or, or yep. make them think – think less or, or think of the game in a game in a way that's not really how the elites view it. So it's interesting. With, with all that, like, it feels like you went through a lot. You like went, you played on different teams. Now I, I see you and I feel you love basketball more than ever. Like whenever I see you, it's just fun because you're just playing and it's great. But like, was there ever a time where you were just like, I'm just going to quit? Like, and what, and what would happen if you had quit? Like if you had never got on the street, like, what, what was the, what's the other path for the professor if it wasn't what you did? You know, it's funny. I never had a plan B, so I don't even know. And it's funny because my views were very delusional, right? Like, I mean, I, th I remember thinking, like, I got second team all state in my high school, but my, the school I went to only had, like, 300 kids at it. And, like, no colleges looked there for letters. And I remember at that time, I thought I definitely thought I was going to the NBA. I remember when I was held back in the JG JV team year before that, I thought I was going to the NBA. When I only played two minutes a game in JUCO, like, I thought I was going to play pro. So... <laughs> I never had a plan B. All my viewpoints would have been viewed as delusional. Um, but I think, I think for me, like I look at it, I think God honored all the work I did put in because I played ball and I worked harder than anybody that I knew. And then when I added weightlifting on top of that, it was like to, to a whole new level. So um, the moments where I was down, where I, where I like took an L or got cut from a team, or like I said, got, got cut from those JUCOs or whatever, I would be down for like a day or two and then I get right back to just having fun. You know what I mean? That's just like how I always was. Cause I didn't really, I didn't know of anything else and I didn't really think of anything else. So, yeah. So, so maybe, maybe you always thought this is where you'd end up, but like there's probably people around you who didn't like, did they ever tell you like, are they shocked at where you ended up or like, did everyone kind of believe like it's going to happen eventually? Nobody, no, nobody would have thought that I was, I was on my way to flourish. And 
probably knew that I didn't have thick enough skin to take that at a time. Like if somebody really tried to talk down to me or tell me I wasn't going nowhere, I don't know. No, nobody who was an adult ever really told me that. You know what I mean? There yeah. was other well, kids good. who would like eat and stuff, but uh, I don't know. I was just always stayed really positive. And I think that I didn't strategically do that. That's what kids should do. You know, now if they're facing someone that's scrutiny, strategically, you should say like, hey, it doesn't matter what somebody else thinks. Like my dream is still always intact. Anything is possible if you put the work in. But right. I, it was like the only thing I knew and the only place I really had fun because I didn't really have much of a social life either. It's like, I felt like like basketball was my place. Like that's that's the only thing I knew. So I just always stuck with it. Yeah. Hey, you mentioned- the, you know, Go ahead, the, the lesson, though, You mentioned the, the NBA the a bunch of times. Sorry, go ahead, there's a delay. You mentioned the NBA a couple of times now. And like that was the dream always. Everyone in the street ball league thought they were going to make the NBA. Like, is there a moment, 21, whenever, is there an age where you're like, I'm actually going to make the NBA? Like, this street ball shit's going to pay off, and I might actually make the NBA here. Like, was there ever that thought once you got into that part of your life? Or once you got there, it was like, I'm just going to ride the street ball thing out as much as I can? No. So, I gave it a run. I, I played, like, minor leagues, ABA, IBL. Uh, and then I got to the CBA, which was – that's, like, the equivalent of the G League today. But it was so hard for me. I fought that stigma that we were talking about earlier, that streetball was a bad thing. And I was so well known for the streetball side of things that when I go play in these minor leagues, it, it was always, uh, it was tough. Like for example, in the G League or in the, in the CBA, I go there and uh, like Kenny Anderson was my coach. Uh, I was playing with Stefan Marbury's brother. He was the starting point guard and I was brought in as the backup. And I was actually a third string. So the second string point guard had got like hurt. And then Steph's brother got hurt. And so I got in the starting lineup for like three games. And I, I remember I had like, I averaged like 20 and seven for three straight games. And, and one of them, I had like 28 points. And I think we, we won two and we lost one. But we had lost, we had been on a crazy losing streak before that. So this was like, we were on an up. Right. But as soon as Steph's brother got healthy, who he was a good player, don't get me wrong. He got right back in the starting lineup. But I felt like I outplayed him in practice, uh, to be honest. And, and I felt like I had earned my spot. But politically, people felt weird about pushing street ball to the forefront. And I wasn't a dominant enough force where I'm going out there just getting 40 where it was obvious I belonged at the top. So yeah. it was always hard um, to get an opportunity. And I'm still playing, I'm still playing pro ball at 140 pounds. So I'm 5'10", but I'm 140. So that, that's going to be tough anyway, right? So you're going to have to really make your mark um, to get the opportunities. And I was always like, at my best, I was like an 18 and 5, 18 and 7 player. Um, so it, it was hard. At, at, in 2007, after that CBA season, I realized it was kind of a fork in the road for me. I was like 23 years old. So it's like, do I try to go overseas and then get a look in the NBA long term? Long long route, you know what I mean? And it might never happen or, hey, let's just stay on the street ball wave that we built. And so uh, I stayed on the street ball wave and one ended the very next year, but yeah. then digital picked up and it opened up. I actually got a second chance, which, which is great how it came out. I have no regrets now. Um, but yeah, it was kind of hard to figure out along the way. How did uh, you talk about that transition between the, the and one days and then where we're at now? I mean, we're 2020 and it's the age of YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, whether you like it or not, and we're constantly talking about it. 
it is it is a huge opportunity and platform for somebody like you. But it's not just given. Like you know, just because you did what you did on a one doesn't mean you know you can post whatever and it's just gonna blow up. What was your transition from you know going more into the influencing life? Um, you know, because I, I see all your stuff on Instagram and YouTube and all this stuff. How did that stage of your life grow? And like, who kind of got you into it? What does that all look like? Yeah, so about 2000 and I think YouTube actually launched like 04, I believe. By about 06, it started to buzz and people were kind of catching on what it was. So I would hear people in the streets be like, uh, or people would stop me and be like, man, I love your work. And I would say, you know, thanks for checking out the show. I would always thank people, you know what I mean, for supporting. And they would say, no, I saw your stuff on YouTube. And so I was like, YouTube. So I started to look into it. And then I realized when we go to Europe and Australia, it's the same thing. So I'm like, oh, this thing's like all the way overseas too. And I remember in my mind thinking like, this is like a free TV station. Cause I, I knew about distribution, right? Being on a mainstream network and distribution varies in how big your business will be. Is your show global or is it domestic? You know, certain things, but I'm like, this is a global thing. And I think at that time it was only in five or 10 countries, but I just was like, hey, when and one folded, I was like, I'm gonna flood the market with YouTube to hopefully get bookings because it was at, at that time, it was still about the live event. And then I, so I had a friend putting out videos for me like, oh, six, we just trying to flood YouTube because people would rip my highlights off ESPN and make these fan mixes and they yep. would all do like a couple million views. So I was like, we should do it too. So then it did, it worked a little bit. I got some bookings over, I primarily played overseas when and one flattened out domestically. Yeah, And then 2009, AdSense became a thing. And I was like, oh, crap, I got to start my own channel because I was just putting them anywhere. Right. I started my own channel. And then it was slow growth. I remember in 2013, I had 17K subs. And then I put out one video that went viral and it did 6 million in a week. And then I had 650K subs at the end of the week. So it was like a full-time business, like overnight. But that's not that's not everybody's path. There's not, you know, most of the time it'll be like a slow growth thing with a lot of like persistence and hard work put into it. And it still is to continue to flourish, but no doubt. That's all mine. No doubt. And, and, and you created so much like a, a wave of, I don't even know, like your sector of, of YouTube and media with entertainment through basketball and dribbling and flashy stuff that people love to watch. Now you bring in guys like Tristan Jazz, who I know you've, uh, you know, you've worked with and stuff like that. How is, uh, how is that kind of transitioning for you? And then what happens, you know, when the ball does stop bouncing for you? What is your plan and outlook on the future? Because I know you're thinking about it. Obviously, you've always been an outward thinking person. 100%. Um, I think that's slowly, it slowly changed for me too, because everybody trying to forecast or like ask me what happens when basketball's over. But I think in the age that we're in, we're starting to see that like YouTube is going to stick, right? Like YouTube showed their tax return a few years ago is like in the trillions. So I don't think YouTube is going anywhere, at least at least fair to say in the next like five, 10 years and hopefully past. Like, I, I don't know why you would get rid of a trillion dollar enterprise, right? So for Google, I think they'll keep it going. And I think my long term would be like the content was just changed. You know what I mean? So it's like you stay an influencer but content changes. And I would try to explain my platform outside of digital too. So I've, I've done acting off and on ever since the beginning of my career too. I moved to LA for actually a lead role in acting in a movie that never actually came out, got shelved. But um, so I would try to expand, but then this like 
stay an influencer. Try to try to grow the platforms. Social media is kind of here to stay. I feel like. Yeah, no doubt. I, that that was the thing too. When you said you moved out to LA, how much how much opportunity? Because you hear every person in the world saying, oh, "I'm just gonna move to LA." You know what I mean? And most of them have no idea what the hell. Like I got people at school right now telling me, "Oh yeah, you know West Virginia. There's no opportunities here. I'm just gonna move to LA." And I'm just thinking like some of these girls saying that I'm like to do what? Like, you know what I mean? There's going to be the next <laughs> wave of Instagram models. Like, what are you going to do? What, not that you can't do it, but like how much has LA really helped you in terms of opportunities, crazy stuff like acting and basketball, like both in the same breath. This man was in so semi-pro. You forget that. Oh yeah. Very few people actually know that. I'm shocked that you even know that. Um, so very few people Actually, I would, I would say this. So LA has actually helped me a lot. Um, when I first moved to LA, it's like, you had to be here if you wanted to get into acting. So I was trying to parlay whatever I built through streetball and turning into an acting career. It didn't work out the way I pictured, even though I dabbled in acting here and there. Um, but it's been great just because like in Oregon, there wasn't much to offer. That's not really a basketball state. It has nothing to do with entertainment in the industry and social wasn't really popping like that. Now, yeah. You've seen influencers can be elsewhere, but I do think there's value in being here for a few reasons. Number one, the weather is nice. So like, if you want to shoot something, you can shoot something year round. Like here we are, it's cold everywhere. It's 80 here, you know what I mean? So if I want to go shoot something today on a winter day, like we can just go shoot that and we don't even got to make reservations for when the weather's going to be nice because it's just most of the time it's going to be decent. So, yeah. so you have that advantage as an influencer. The second thing is um, all the agencies are based out here and all the big opportunities are kind of like based out here. So if you are in LA and you are on site, it's better for you than being in on the East coast or something and being forgot about by your not, or not as thought about as often by your agency. Um, and then the third thing is the biggest way to grow is collabs. You know what I mean? So if you want to collab with like 75% of the influencers that I know, they're all like out here, you know what I mean? They're like my homies, yeah. they're like one call away. You know what I mean? We could literally be like, yo, tomorrow let's go do this. So I think it's been proven by like T. Jass and other people, Casey, Casey Nista, who's in New York, all these people that you can do it away from LA, um, but, it, but, it, but it does add value if you move here. Right. Yeah. Sorry, like, we even like T. Jass, guy like T. Jass comes out here, you know, every month or every two months, you know what I mean? Because there's yep. value in yep. What'd you say, Tom? Are we moving? Well, it's it's 33 degrees here, so yeah, I'm fucking moving. So cool. I don't know when. You know what? I I actually, Jordan, I actually thought you were out here because I don't know if you saw. I reacted to a couple of your videos uh, on my channel. I did. We didn't even get into that, but yeah, I, I did see that. Yep. Okay, and I was just because Ball is Life covered covered you a lot, and I liked your play style, and I was like, man, it's dope. But I actually thought you were in California. I didn't even actually know that you're West Virginia. So this is new revelation to me. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm playing at West Virginia going into my junior season, but that's that's funny that you brought that up because I do remember watching uh, you reacted to my City of Palms game, um, which a lot of people had covered or whatever. It was like my first real national, like high school basketball, non-AAU thing. And uh, mm. man, I tell you, there had to have been 25 different text messages from my boys back home. Like, yo, the professor just reacted, go watch this. It was you and Oprah side and I was dying at both. Like, they, I was crazy to think that that was even a, like a possibility at the time. I do remember it, but uh, no, I'm, I'm not a Cali boy just yet. Got you, got you. But that's that's dope. I, no, and I knew you were West Virginia. I'm keeping yeah. up with that. So 
That's awesome. Dude. Appreciate yeah. that. Appreciate that. Hey, Professor, before we get you out of here, um, let's knock out this. Uh, I know you got a hard out here in about five, but let's do this little game show real quick. Um, sure. Tom, you take the uh, you take the the even numbers. I'll take the odds. All right. Hey, give me one sec. You good? All right, close it. I'll take the evens. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Subject to Change. And today we had the professor on the pod, so make sure you go get that full episode. But we got a couple of questions for him before he gets out of here. We're going to play a game called On a String. We're going to give him a couple names throughout the NBA, and he's got to match them up and tell us who's got better handles. You ready? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's get it. Let's get it. All right, number one, Dame Lillard or Derrick Rose? Oh, uh, that's, that's, that is tough. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go Dame Lillard. I'm going to go Lillard on that. I like it. I like it. All right. Number two, we got Trey Young or Kemba Walker. Uh, Kemba Walker. Whoa, really? Bro, New York boy. Well, I, think, I think Trey Young, uh, I think they both have like great step back games and Trey Young, he he had mastered like the the nutmeg, you know what I mean? Like between the legs and stuff. Yep. But he he never like put dudes on their butt quite like Kimball Walker did. You know what I mean? So I would say just with the experience, I, I give oh, that to Kimball yeah. right 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 now at least. Maybe later. Yeah. You know, who knows? Kemba has the nastiest step back of all time when he dropped that pit big man for the win in the garden, no doubt. Uh all right, number three here, Jamal Crawford or Jason Williams. Um, Jamal Crawford better handle Jason Williams better passer. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Because I, I, like like Jay Will had crazy handle, but I think his his best skill was like like his dimes were nuts. You know what I'm saying? His his dimes were on par with Magic or better. So no, that's not taken away from him. But I I put Jamal Crawford on the top top uh, ten all time. You know what I mean? So For sure. Wait, was. All right, I got to ask this. Would both of them, would they have been like two of the better NBA players to then go play on the street ball tour? Like what NBA players could go play on the street ball tour and put on a show? And obviously they'd be good, but like put on a show the way you could. Those two easily. Um, those two easily. I think the way we were doing it though, at that time, people forget if you did a, if you just did a came down and did a crossover and shot it, you wouldn't really get much reaction unless the dude went flying. It can't, it, it got so saturated with moves. It's kind of like my YouTube channel. Now every possession I do about five, <laughs> I do about five moves. <laughs> I'm trying to go for that ultra, ultra viral clip. So I remember that happened at that time too. It became about multiple combo moves or really embarrassing the guy on a whole nother level. So those guys would have had to amp up. Like if Jay, it would have been crazy just because Jay Will was there, period. So it probably got reaction. But I remember doing like no look pass, and I got a little reaction, but that that didn't go crazy. So guys would have to turn up, but of course they could adapt. Yeah, you had to hit the the three sixty no scope, no doubt. I hear you. Go ahead, Todd. Uh, definitely. Next one. All right, the next one. I keep getting the hardest ones: Steph Curry or Penny Hardaway. Uh, Steph Curry, I'd say. That's a better hand. I yeah. like that. But okay. I mean, not taking away from Penny. All right, Russell Westbrook, John Morant. Oh man, uh, I, I'm not allowed to say toss up. 
No, no, no toss-ups. Forget that. You're open book. I need to hear what you're thinking. Maybe John Morant. I give it just to the young bucks too. I think just handle. It's hard to say because those guys both aren't really handle guys, in my opinion. Right. No, they're always just going too fast. Um. All right. I got next. James Harden or Luca? Uh, Harden, but both are beasts. Yeah. yeah. When I think when I think Luca, I think fundamentals and crispy, good passer, great step back. I don't think of like handle. He ain't. Dro- I didn't see him drop nobody. Maybe he has, but I don't think. Right. That, you know. Chris Paul or Steve Nash? Um, both incredible, but Chris Paul. I give Chris okay. Paul that edge. Uh, Steve Nash deceiving, but like people didn't really give him that handle label. He was more known as like a, a scorer, playmaker, guy who who lead his point guard. I think what happened is too is like the flare, the flare got more amped up as as the, as the age comes about, right? With Kyrie, Steph, CP3. Even CP3 more flashy now than he was when he first started with the Hornets. So, so the, the flair has gotten amped up. I think with like the 90s, the guys we mentioned, like Penny Hardaway, Kenny Anderson, guys like that, it was more about how good you were at not, uh, like the ball was on a string. Like nobody could take it from you. You could do what you want in the lane. It became less about like how much, it, less about the ankle breaker. You know what I'm saying? How right. much could you lay on your dudes and stuff like that? I got another tough one. Raper Alston or hot sauce? Uh, well, I, I actually couldn't give the advantage there because I would say Skip to My Lou has a better uh, handle. It would translate like to the NBA, obviously, right? Like he, he, if you look at his handle mix from the NBA, like it's pretty crazy. He did that at the highest level. And if you look at his mixtape stuff, it's like next level. So, but hot sauce. Dude, hot sauce a beast. Like I, I've been in games with hot sauce and skip to my Lou, and the going away, the going away person who stole the show the most might have been hot sauce because of just because of the way he captivated the crowd. So hot yeah. sauce was amazing yeah. at captivating the crowd. Back then, the trend of the moose being illegal that was like trend, so it didn't matter. We didn't even factor that in. Uh, basketball peers would have, of course, but. Um, toss up. I'd say for entertainment handles, hot sauce for real, you know, if we're talking about the NBA or like on some real game stuff, I would say skip to my loop. Yeah. Hot sauce was built for, for and one basketball nowadays though, you know, even his highlights, you're going to have some asshole Instagram ref say travel or carry. It's just like, shut hey. up. <laughs> shut Wait, up. Was hot sauce will- always the, was he the, was he the biggest on the tour? Like, was he the most popular everywhere you went or it depended, it changed every year. Or was he pretty consistent? Uh, yeah. Uh, Skid to my Lou birthed it, and he had the street hype. When it came to ESPN, it was Hot Sauce show, and then I came to compliment that. But Hot Sauce was always still the headline. I said maybe I might have had the headline 2007, 2008, but that was past the point where it's in his prime. So. Yeah, Hot Sauce is a beast, man. I like a lot of people will discredit. We like you said, there'll always be a troll or two in the comments to discredit what's going on. But I mean, same with me. I can't post anything without a bunch of people be like, Carrie, this ain't real basketball, boo boo. But I, you know, that's the small ball crowd. Like, I, I don't really, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, I try, those are my idols. I try to be a mix of Hot Sauce and Skip to my Lou. Like, those are two dudes. I, I try to be a hybrid where it's like, we can respect this because I can play any level. We're talking about conventional, but I, by choice, I'm going to try to make it captivating to the crowd. So, um, 
that's my goal. I love those two guys. That's a tough, tough call. Got you. Okay, uh, let's go Allen Iverson or Kyrie Irving. Just had this conversation in a heated debate. Not a heated debate, but there was like three dudes getting pretty rowdy over this. And my, my take is that, okay, first of all, I give the edge to Allen Iverson. I give the edge. Okay. Kyrie Irving is more versatile. He actually has more moves, I'd say. And he's able to get out of situations differently. Like, for example, you didn't really say AI spin that much, right? And Kyrie spins a lot. Or like Kyrie can get caught up and do something and then get out of it all crazy and then end up finishing. And you'd be like, dang, that's crazy. I didn't expect that. But I give the edge to AI because of that signature crossover and the way he, he dropped a lot of people without even having any contact. Like I never really seen Kyrie. Kyrie has a couple like bodies where he dropped dude without the contact, but I give the I give the advantage to AI. But I, I don't know. Before Kyrie's over, it's all said and done. Maybe Kyrie will hold that title. That's fair. That's fair yeah. for sure. Tom, you got last one. Wrap it up, baby. All right, last one. The professor or Jordan McCabe? Jordan, you you defend yourself <laughs> first. Hold on, hold on. No, no, no. I want to hear what he says. I want to hear what he says. Listen, I would say this. How old are you right now? 22. 48. All right. Well, I'm almost 40. So <laughs> at your age, at 22, you're a way better game than I did. You know what I mean? So I, I'm going to give I'm gonna give you the edge in your 22-year span. Jordan McCabe outdoes the professor by far. When I was reacting to your high school thing and like how you went D1, like when I sat in your shoes at that age, playing college ball, I was gonna say this earlier, like playing college ball for me was like impossible. Like the fact I got to red shirt in my hometown at some podunk school that nobody knew about, that was, I was like, oh, thank God. You know what I mean? Like I'm here, like this is awesome. For you, it was like, what D1 am I gonna field out? So, you know, <laughs> I'm gonna give the edge to Jordan McCabe. 22 years going strong. Well, I appreciate that, but you're being way too damn modest right now, and and that's a great way to wrap up. But I'm telling you, I'm giving the edge to you because, like I said in the beginning of the podcast, I grew up on you, Hot Sauce, Skip to My Lou, all these guys, and you guys changed the way basketball is played, whether people like it or not. Your impact on me and so many other people. I mean, is beyond even, you know, words. So I appreciate you jumping on. I appreciate you, you know, playing the game and doing the thing. You are, uh, you're a lot of fun to talk to. Hope you, hopefully you jump back on the pod again soon. Hey, that's love, man. No, I appreciate you guys having me on, man. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. You're a man.